Good morning. Hey, you guys are a lot more lively than the 9 a.m. <clears throat> um, hey, does that bumper music scare anybody? <laughs> I want to give a big shout out to Marty. He, uh, he works hard at putting our bumpers together. And uh, it's those little things that nobody knows that anybody ever does, but we're all thankful for it. So big thanks to Marty this morning. I, I, I enjoy that bumper. We've got a couple announcements before we start here. Uh, we got lunch with the leaders. That means you get to come and eat pizza with Fred and myself and everybody else on March 3rd after second service. So if you don't know anything about redemption, if you're fairly new um, and you want to learn more, just a, a quick meeting to see us, talk to us, and kind of get a feel for what redemption's all about. Uh, we have another Sunday even, evening service coming up on March 10th at 6 p.m. where we bring uh, men up that will uh, that want to preach God's word and get some reps in. And um, also for worship team members to kind of plug in and, and grow in, in their ministry as well. So uh, please come out, encourage them, and uh, just sit under some teaching, and that would, that would be great and helpful. Uh, we also have a kids movie night that's coming up on March 16th. Uh, kids ministry is going to host that. It's a great chance to bring your kids and get them um, to fellowship with other kids in Redemption Church, but also for your kids to invite their friends to come here and watch a movie on the screen, eat some snacks, all uh, uh, just register free, free, free to come, and um, just a good, good time of fellowship. So please look out for the details and registration on our Facebook page coming up this week. One final thing is we do have a craft show uh, coming up that Marcy needs help with. There's a table, uh, orange, orange tablecloth back there. Please, if you're interested in volunteering to help with that, please make sure that you sign up there. They're trying to get things in order here uh, for Monday. They're, they're doing a Zoom meeting and want to get a couple things in order. But with that, we're going to get started. If you're new here, big welcome to you. I'm uh, Pastor Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the executive pastor, not the normal preaching pastor. That's, that's Pastor Fred. Um, but I get the pleasure and the privilege to bring the word to you. So we're going to dive right in. We are in the book of Romans. If you want to turn with me, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. Two familiar verses that we'll be going through today. It goes like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Father, your word is everlasting and it has the ability to pierce our hearts deeper than joint and marrow. So I pray that as we dive into your word and we, we, we learn more about you and your gospel message, I pray that you would encourage us as believers. I pray that you would convict those who do not yet believe in your son for salvation here this morning. And I pray that we'd all walk away encouraged to be unashamed of the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we land on these two verses, and they're considered the, the thesis statement of the entire book of Romans. 
Everything is summarized here in this thesis statement. Now, Paul has finished his greetings to the church. He said his, his how do you do's and I miss you. And he, he's communicated his desire to wanting to be with them um, in Rome, but he has not been able to do so yet. So we're through that part. We're through the beginning of the letter, and then we hit these verses. And it's the thesis statement. And it's going to convey the, the truths of the gospel throughout the rest of the letter. So Paul, has, he's found great encouragement in the Roman believers. He's heard about their faith. As he's, as he's moseying along through his missionary journeys, he's hearing about the Roman believers coming to faith in Christ. Now this has to encourage Paul because he didn't plant this church. But he's on his missionary journey, so he's hearing, this, he's hearing this information secondhand, and he is just thrilled to see that the power of God through the gospel message is affecting regions that he has not yet been to. And that has to be encouraging to him. He talks about it with everybody that he's coming in contact with. The epicenter of the, the modern world back in that context, the people there, are coming to Christ. And it's not necessarily because of Paul. What an idea to see multiplication actually happen throughout the gospel message. God's growing his church with and without Paul. Yet Paul opens his thesis statement how? He opened, you may pass right by it, and you might not even catch it, but he opens it in the negative. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Is that how you or I would, would communicate that? Another way you could say that is, I'm really proud of the gospel. But he chooses to communicate it in the negative to start. Why? We have to ask ourselves the question, why? It's because he wants to communicate something to that church. He wants to communicate something to the Roman believers I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and neither should you be. We know their faith was spreading throughout the region, throughout the world. Yet Paul needs them to understand, you can't be ashamed of the thing that just saved you. He wanted them to proclaim the gospel boldly. I think the believers in Rome we're probably struggling with much of the same thing that we struggle with here today. Not only Redemption Church, but all the believers across, across the globe. Faith may be abounding. We may be believing in Jesus Christ. But our boldness in gospel proclamation is lacking. You see, we can have faith, but when push comes to shove... Our faith may really be weak in gospel witness. We may stray away from it. So if you received a, a, a pamphlet when you walked in, we're going to fill out our first point here this morning. Faith must be stronger than the temptation of shame in gospel witness. Faith must be stronger than the temptation of shame in gospel witness. We have a temptation to stay silent. It plagues the church. It plagues our lives. If you don't believe it, 
ask yourself, how many gospel conversations did I have last week? Silence plagues the church. Statistics shows that like very few percentage share the gospel on a week-to-week basis. We live our lives in silence when it comes to our faith. And oftentimes this silence that, that we experience is a result of shame of our faith and our beliefs. Now we, we may not want to admit that, and that sounds like really harsh, like, Nuh-uh, but yaha. <laughs> we have to look inside of ourselves. We have to evaluate ourselves whether or not that's true. Now, granted, silence of our faith can, can come from a multitude of other things, social anxieties, severe introvertedness. I, I understand all that. I get all that. I'm not refuting those arguments. But let me offer a brief synopsis of the woman at the well, to kind of combat, to make sure that those things aren't just excuses that we use to stay silent. So this woman, we know, she travels to the well outside of normal business hours during the heat of the day to gather her water because she does not want to be around other people. She definitely doesn't want to be around other women because she's a social outcast. She has multiple husbands, and people look down, they cast shame on that, that she's, she's been with so many men and unfaithful to so many men. And in her context, maybe, I mean, in our context today, maybe she would be applauded in our world, but in their context, they looked down on that type of behavior. So she wanted to avoid all of the people that she would associate with, everybody in her town, she was an outcast. And yet... When she met Jesus at the well that day and she experienced and trusted in who he said he was, she left everything and went back into her town and did what? She went to the people that she avoided. She went to the people who cast shame on her. She went to the people that put so much pressure on her as a sinner and said, you gotta see what I just saw. And what did What did the people, the shame casters do? They followed the one they used to shame to go find Jesus. Isn't that amazing? She went to the ones she wanted to avoid. She didn't have anything other than an experience with Jesus. What about you? If you're a believer, you have a testimony. But in addition to that testimony, man, we live in a time and a place of privilege where we have more information, more resources, more stuff that can help us learn and understand our faith better than any generation previously. So yes, we have a testimony, and testimony is powerful, but we also have a vast array of information. You can, you can queue up any preacher that you want on a podcast in a blink of an eye across the globe. What are we doing with this information? Are we using it? Are we benefiting from it? Are we taking it for granted? Because here's the point that I wanna make. Peter says we are called to defend our faith. 
to defend our faith. Weak faith begets weak faith. Strong faith will have a strong defense. And it takes work. It takes work to be able to communicate your beliefs, your faith. Let me, I want to, hopefully I don't, I, don't, I don't get struck down here, but let me demonstrate our beliefs. And I'm just going to say them, and you listen to them, and maybe I'll add a little, little condescension in my voice, but let me bring it as if I was a critic of Christianity. So you're telling me that there's one God. And now this one God that you believe in, Mr. Christian, he lives outside of space and time. So you can't see him because he's outside of our, our dimension here. And he made everything that we see. And then he made these two humans, kind of like him, but not like him, but kind of like him. And then these two humans that you said that this invisible God made ate some fruit from a tree. And they disobeyed his, his command to eat from that tree. And because they did that one thing, that one little dis, act of disobedience, now they are kicked out of the garden and now the wrath of God is poured out on them and they're destined for hell. Now they die. And now, because we all come from these two individuals, we have that same sin problem. And we die and we all have the wrath of God on us, destined for hell. But this one invisible God, represented by three persons, mind you, sends one of those persons to a virgin girl, and she bears a son. Now this son, you're telling me, grows up and never sins. He never sins. And his perfect life is displayed for the world to see. And then he's crucified, and the wrath of God's poured out on him a sinless person, and that anybody that would believe in him, like yourself, Mr. Christian, would find atonement for their sins and have eternal life. Amen. But that's, that's a critical view. That's, what's your defense? What's your defense for that? How are you going to argue against that or argue for that? Have you I think every single one of us have, have been tempted to shrink back at some level in any one of those topics on how we're going to defend it. Because it's, at some level, it's absurd. It's, hard, it's, it's beyond comprehension. You see, we can make fun and poke fun of every other religion in this world. We can say, oh yeah, they're just killing in the name of God. Or they, he, he thinks he's gonna get 40 virgins whenever he does this. And we can make fun of all of that, but yet we can't defend our own belief system. Too often our defenses are what? Why do you believe that, Christian? Um, well, it's the way that I was raised. Uh, my parents took me to church, and it's just how I was brought up. So, I mean, it's, it's got to be right. I just think it's the right thing to believe. I mean, it kind of seems right. Or how about, I don't really know. 
but I know if, if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. So you should believe it. These aren't defenses. These are excuses. How about an alternative? How about an alternative we look, how about something like, I believe, Mr. Critic, in those beliefs because, you know, when I look at creation and I look at the majesty behind it and I zoom in with a microscope and I see the, the intricate detail of organisms and these microscopic things and DNA and things like that, I don't have enough faith to believe that it's a random occurrence of two atoms splitting over millions of years. I lack that kind of faith. Rather, I believe that that intelligent design behind everything in creation, I think there's an intelligent creator. And I think he's revealed himself so that everybody can realize that there is a God just by looking at creation. And not only that, I think God loves us so much that he didn't stop there, that he gave us his word. And this word that was written over a 2,000 year period by 40 different authors all communicate the same message, answers all the tough questions of life and they find their answer in this person, Jesus Christ. So when I look at the, the historical evidence and the archeological evidence I can't help but conclude the Bible as we have it is the word of God and communicates such. And then I have to believe in Jesus Christ because when I look at the New Testament and the eyewitness accounts and the multitude of transcripts that we have, five, 15, over 15,000 transcripts of the, the New Testament I can't help but believe that I have corroborating evidence to the life of Jesus Christ. And when I look at the Gospels, there's implications on my life if I believe that that's true. Because he makes some serious claims. So although you may think I believe in absurdities, I would ask the critic and challenge them, you figure it out. Look in the word, discover it yourself and ask yourself these questions. Come to your own conclusion. This is what we've been doing. If, if you're new or if you weren't listening, um, we're, we have an answers class here for unbelievers that it's a space where I get to teach stuff just like this. And if you, everything that I said I didn't quote one Bible verse. It was all rational thought process there, defending the faith. And this is what I'm trying to get that class to do as we meet. Just want them to consider, I want them to consider God. I can't, I can't change their mind and I will never be able to give them 100% proof that this is all true. But we, we never, have, we never make decisions on 100% truth, right? Like husbands and wives, how do you know you can go to bed tonight 
and your spouse isn't going to kill you. (laughs) How do you know that? I mean, this is the argument. People want, well, show me the proof, show me the proof. Okay, I'll show you a preponderance of evidence, and then you have to rationally come to a conclusion and trust in Jesus Christ. How do you know your spouse isn't going to kill you? Well, they love me. They're married to me. We didn't fight that day, so I think I'm okay. (laughs) I think I'm going to close my eyes tonight. I'm going to trust and have faith that I'm going to wake up. See, we do it in every avenue of life, but when it comes to faith in the Bible, oh, I want to see the evidence. Show me the evidence. Okay, you got to take the preponderance of evidence and make a conclusion. You want a training exercise? You start how Paul started. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because. You write it down. What are you going to come up with? Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? How would you defend it? Is your logic strong? Can you defend what you believe? Because I tell you what, the days are coming, they're here, they're at our doorstep where every Christian is, 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 is persecution's gonna come. You better have a stronghold and a strong footing in what you believe because the world's pressures are coming. But the good news is, is Christ is coming too. And every day that goes by, we are one day closer to the marriage feast with the Lamb. So Paul, if you think about Paul here, Paul has great reasoning to actually shrink back and be ashamed of the gospel. Once a pious Jewish leader, ahead of his times, beyond his contemporaries, now, after he experienced Christ, He's a traitor of Judaism. And now he's following, or he's, he's leading others to Christ and, and leading the movement for Jesus. Consider the amount of shame that, that Paul would be feeling from his, his circle of Jewish people. And just the stories about him. Like you hear like, oh, he used to be a Jew, but now he's not a Jew, and now he's... He is a Jew because he actually is connecting all the dots and Christ is the the extension of Judaism, but nobody's believing that and they're casting shame all over him. Now think think about the Romans and this is why he starts in the negative. Think about the Roman believers here. Their faith is abounding. There is a man who they believe in who their government reprimanded by crucifixion. Get, get in that mindset, into their context. Roman believers of Christ, their government reprimanded this man by crucifixion, which was a death that was reserved for the lowest of low criminals, and it was used to communicate, whatever that guy did, I probably shouldn't do it. Whatever that guy followed, I probably shouldn't follow it. They're living under this authority that did that and they're believing in that man this isn't two this isn't 2000 plus years uh, beyond the crucifixion this is years it's fresh they have every reason to feel that shame of like yeah i believe but i kind of want to be silent and paul's like you know what 
I know how you feel, but let me encourage you, Christ is worth so much more than what you feel. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 27. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What does he say here? Those who believe through the foolishness of what was preached. The gospel looks like foolishness. It looks like a weak God did this. Human wisdom, human wisdom wants us to to come to the conclusion that it is foolishness, that it's dumb, it's stupid, you shouldn't, even believe it, shouldn't trust it, can't be confirmed. Why would God ever do it like this? Yet God's foolishness, the word says, is wiser than our own understanding. What appears as weakness in God's court is stronger and more powerful than anything you can conceive. Behind the scenes, God is using what looks like foolishness. To shame the wise, to shame the strong. He uses this obscure gospel message, this absurd gospel message, knowing that prideful heart, the prideful heart, the self righteous heart will never let their human intellect believe it by faith. He's using it to show his power and true wisdom. We can, be, we can either be unashamed of what the, the world views as foolishness or one day when judgment comes, we will feel ashamed beyond all comparison because everything will be revealed to us. Every knee will bow to that paradoxical under paradoxical wisdom of God through the gospel message. It takes faith. God's ways are paradoxical. It's, and I take comfort in that. I'm never gonna, I tell the class, I'm never gonna give you enough information. If you want evidence beyond evidence beyond evidence, I'm never gonna be able to give it to you. His ways are paradoxical to our ways. But I can but I can trust based on the evidence that he's given us. I can have faith and believe in the gospel message. 
based on that evidence. The reality is, a lot of the time, we're shameful of the gospel or we're ashamed of the gospel and we don't even really realize that we are. Let's, let's turn to Galatians chapter 2, 11. Paul's going to talk to Peter here. Peter's not, not taking steps in the gospel in the right direction. And Paul's going to redirect him. Let's just say it that way. It starts like this. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him, I being Paul. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party, that is the Jewish people. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even when even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was acting different. Peter knew in Acts 10 that the gospel message was not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. He had direct, he had a a vision, and he was to take that message, he was to take that message to Cornelius, a Gentile. So he understood that the gospel message now included the Gentiles. But yet we see this, this, this underlying, do I dare say, shame. Around certain company, Peter was like, yeah, you know what? When, I, when I'm just with the Gentile people, I'm going to act this way. But if a Jewish person comes, it's like, well, I know they're saved, but like, we're the real people. And Paul's, Paul's not going to let him get away with it. He confronts him in front of Paul's own people as well. And this is where, this is where the rubber meets the road for Paul, right? Like in all circumstances, it's like, you're not, you're deviating from the gospel. Let me correct you. Because he's unashamed of it. And the, the reality is, is that shame will manifest itself when we have a feeling that certain people may reject us based on what we believe. I mean, I think we can all, we all know what that feels like. We're at work and we're, we're around this certain people. Or how about this? When we're around Christians, we're like, yay, Jesus. He's so awesome. And then, we, and then we go to work and we're like, how's the Steelers playing? <laughs> and you never talk about anything because we live in silence. And we don't want them to know. We want them to know. When we're with our Christian friends, we're like, yeah, we want evangelism. And then we're, there, then we're in the context of evangelism. We're like, no, I don't want them to think I'm weird. And this is what Paul's trying to communicate to us. Who cares? Who cares? He understands. Paul's unashamed of the gospel because he understands why. And this is what we need to understand because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek, and that's the letter of Romans. We'll get into that later. Paul is unashamed or even proud 
to preach the message. And it's not because of his eloquent letters or his speeches or the number of church plants or what he's doing for the kingdom and he's all high and mighty on. He understands that it's all apart from that. It's the gospel message has the power to save sinners. Everyone, everyone has that invitation. Anyone who would believe has that invitation. Our next point. Faith in God's power through the gospel for salvation crushes any feelings of shame associated with gospel witness. That's a long one. Leave that one up there for a second. Faith in God's power through the gospel for salvation crushes any feelings of shame associated with gospel witness. You see, no matter what eloquent system that we have here at Redemption Church, doesn't matter what building we move to or not move to, doesn't matter what clever ministry or pithy name that we create for outreach, if it's not centered around what's powerful, which is the gospel, it has no power. It has no power to save anybody. Only the gospel has power to save sinners. You have to understand that inherent power in the gospel. Because when you, when you truly believe that and understand the power of God in that gospel message, it'll crush your shame about speaking truth to people. Know that the elders of Redemption Church, this is like our main job as an overseer, to make sure that everything that happens here, every word that's preached, every ministry that, that is conducted should be under the umbrella of the gospel. Everything needs to be viewed through the gospel lens. If it's not, the job of the elder is to oversee, redirect it back to the gospel, or kill it. Because we don't want to deal with it. If it's not, if it's not a gospel-centered ministry, there's no point to do it. There's no point to put resources and effort into it. Because it lacks power. God's power makes people alive again. The power to save a dead soul can only come from the life-giving power of God. Those who were spiritually dead cannot make themselves spiritually alive. Think of it this way. You're driving down 28, and you see that, which everybody always sees, that dead deer on the side of the road. Now, this dead deer, it's been there. The cleanup crew hasn't got him for a while, so he bloated, and his leg's like totally up. He's dead. Now, that dead deer doesn't all, all of a sudden say, you know what? Man, I hate being dead. I think I'm going to stand up, and I'm not going to be dead no more. And I'm going to walk away and get back, and I'm going to de-bloat. That's, that's not how it works, right? That never happens. Something that is dead cannot make itself alive again. That is only done through the power of God, through the gospel message, and through his spirit. And the longer I walk with the Lord, the more and more I realize I really had no part in 
my salvation. The Spirit did something in me, in my heart, to, to wake me up, to regenerate my heart, to be able to accept and respond to the gospel message. Because I was dead. I was living contrary to God. There's, there was no reason for me to ever follow God and Christ in the Bible. My life was contrary to it. But something happened inside of me to when I heard that message, I'm like, oh, what? And then it started happening. And like I could respond to what I've heard because the one who has power made what was dead alive and regenerated it and gave me life and it gave me the ability to accept this powerful message. And Paul understands that's the power. He's unashamed of that power. And if you're here today, listen, the gospel is not just for the Jewish people. It's for Gentiles. It's for everyone. Anyone who would believe. If you're sitting here today, and I took a long pause there because you're feeling uncomfortable now. I was there too. And listen, I'm not, I'm not looking for an emotional response. Like, I'm not tricking you into salvation. But I want you to realize, if you're sitting here and you can honestly have a conversation with yourself and say, no, I've never repented of my sins and I've never trusted in Jesus Christ for, for, for salvation, for atonement of those sins, there's an invitation waiting for you. And that uncomfortableness that's just kind of stirring in you, that might just be the spirit working in your heart, convicting you and saying, listen, listen up. Listen up, sinner. There's something that that man is saying that I should take notice of. You're apart from Christ. You're dead in your sins and the invitation is the power of God to make you alive and redeem you and reconcile you back to Christ. Don't walk out of here denying that truth again. Believe it. Receive it. Let your life be transformed by it. Verse 17 says this, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For in it, for in what? For in the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. God's righteousness is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God's standard is communicated to us through his word, lived out by Jesus Christ. He lived to the perfect standard that God, a holy God, the one who lives outside of time and space, 
Jesus Christ lived to that standard. He lived up to it. And the sad truth is, is that nobody, not you, not I, not anybody other than Christ can live up to God's standard. You may think you're righteous. You may think that you're wise. But you have no ability to achieve that kind of righteousness that is needed to stand before the judgment seat and think that you're not going to be judged guilty. You cannot live up to that standard. You need Christ. If you don't believe it, tomorrow I want you to try as you drive to work and as you go about your day, every single thought that you have, say it out loud. You'll probably realize you're a sinner on your way to work. <laughs> That's the reality. We're so sinful that we don't even realize we're sinful. And we, we use our human wisdom to think like, oh, I'm not that bad. But we are not righteous. Not one bit. Our next point is this. Through faith, Christ's righteousness covers our unrighteousness, eliminating any trace of shame associated with gospel witness. Through faith, Christ's righteousness covers our unrighteousness, eliminating trace, any trace of shame associated with gospel witness. Paul quotes here the Old Testament back at 2, 4 at the end of verse 16 here. And he does that to show the readers this thing by faith, it's not a new idea. The righteous shall live by faith. Our righteousness begins with faith in Christ. It's lived out by faith in Christ and ends with our faith in Christ. Everything is by faith. The book of Hebrews speaks of that. All the old patriarchs, it's by faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, by faith, by faith. It's always been. It's not a new idea. And honestly, this is where the Catholics get it wrong. The, the Catholic doctrine says by faith, plus works, and it's wrong. It's by faith alone. It's what started the Reformation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is our righteousness. We have no righteousness, but we gain it. Christ imputes it to us when we are found in Jesus Christ. This is our faith in him. When we believe in the gospel, we are found in him. He covers us. We're in Christ. So, our, so Christ's righteousness is so great and so perfect that it blankets our unrighteousness. So when we stand in front of the judgment seat, God cannot see anything but his righteous son, even when he looks 
at a dirty sinner like you. Paul understands this. This is why he is not ashamed of the gospel message. He wants the Roman church, he wants our church to be bold in gospel witness because it's worth more than anything that we could ever obtain. So I'm gonna leave you with one verse here as we close. Popular verse, Philippians 3, 8 through 9. But let's, let's read it and understand it in this context of not being ashamed for the thing that saves. It says, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything that Paul had accumulated, every accreditation, everything that he's ever done, he considers it to be a loss compared to now knowing Christ. Because Christ is way more valuable than anything that he could ever achieve. Because of him, because of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So not only does everything that he had achieved, everything that he gained previous to Christ, he now counts it as dung. Like everything that you've ever done in your life, can you say that? All, all the materialistic things that you have, all the accreditations that you have, where is that on your scale? Is Christ higher than everything? Do you consider everything else to be worthless if you don't have Christ? Christ is worth everything. And to be found in him, man, that's something. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law. Remember, Paul's Jewish. He, can't, he realizes he can't, he can't live up to the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Our righteousness is based on our faith in Jesus Christ. I can't communicate that enough. You wanna stand righteous? You wanna stand not guilty before the judge? Then you better be found in Christ. And if you are found in Christ, be encouraged by that. It means no matter what anybody says about you, no matter what happens here on earth, the condemnation, the persecution for your faith, anything, no matter what, you can have joy knowing that, yep, well, this, this, this isn't fun, but you know what? Before the judgment seat of God, I know I'm counted righteous and I will live in eternity with him forever. Let it sink in, church. Let it, let it help you be bold in gospel proclamation. Paul staked his life on this message. This is the, Romans 1, 16 through 17 is the thesis statement of the entire book. And he's gonna, he's gonna slice it up and dice it up and he's gonna pour it out. He's gonna expound on each one of these things throughout the entire letter. So I encourage you to highlight these verses, memorize them so that you can always have them turning over in your head as we go through the book of Romans here. 
I'll leave you with one question as we close. One thing to walk away from this sermon and into your week with. Does my life, does it testify to the fact that I'm living my life unashamed of the gospel message? Think about that this week. Let it change your motivation and your actions as you kind of get back into the world. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word that is living and active, that cuts us sometimes, hurts as we let the lens of your word kind of peer into our lives. Let it do a mighty work in us here today. Let it change how we go about our day-to-day operations and our behaviors. Let the fact that the gospel message and the power that is inherent in it that comes from you, let us rest in the fact that we, we have this message of reconciliation to pour out to the world that saved us. And let us use it for your glory because you deserve it. As followers of you, we want, we want to be the, the best servants that we can because of the gift that we've received from you. So encourage us to, to be bold for you. And let us feel the grace and the mercy of you and where we've failed miserably. Let us rest in the fact that we know that when we fail on a day-to-day basis, that we are found in Christ and covered by his righteousness. And there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Father, we love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this time, we're going to continue in worship. We're going to stand up. We're going to worship through two more songs. Um, We're going to take what we've learned here today and we're going to, India did a great job at just pairing two songs that are just speak to the truth of these verses. So this is our chance to respond, church. This is our chance to be bold in worship, in our beliefs, in our faith. So I invite you to stand up and join us as we do that. And then the men will also come, along, come around with buckets. Um, if you've prepared a tithe or an offering and want to worship in that way, please put it in the buckets. If, if you ever miss the buckets, because they all, always don't get passed, we did install a couple uh, boxes on the outside of the doors here. So you can always have a spot to put it. But let's go ahead and worship.